theyeshiva.net. The Balatanya's son brings one of his maimorim that the Magid, the Magid of Mizrich, I guess he heard it from his father. He doesn't quote his father, he just says the Misa about the Magid of Mizrich that he once saw Kaili, a vessel, that was made by a craftsman, obviously. And he said that uh, the craftsman was blind. So the Balatanya said that some people see the Kayach HaPoyel B'Nifl. They could see the Kayach HaPoyel in the Nifl. When they look at something, they see the energy of the one who created it. It's a certain sensitivity. So that's the Kayach HaPoyel, the one who designed it. And then there's the Kayach HaPoyel, the one who... Uh, a craftsman makes from yesh to yesh. He doesn't make from yesh to ay. Takes clay, and he fashions it into a vessel, or silver, or gold, or wood, whatever the whatever the material that he's using. Whether it's earthenware, or it's gold, or it's silver, or it's a metal. But uh, but that's yesh meyesh. And then there's the deeper pile, the one who's making yesh meyayin. So it's a koyach pile benef. So we discussed at length in the last two shiurim last week, Mamala Kalalman, Saivav Kalalman, Dibur, Ratzain, both are completely inside every created being and outside every created being. Just one relates and accentuates and brings out the individual properties of every created being distinct from the individual properties in another created being, where Saiv of Kalalman also is inside the Nivra. It's also an energy that fills it and infuses it. And in fact, the main chayas, the main vitality, comes from that place, from Saiv of Kalalman. But here... You also have all the details. Here the details don't become a focus where each one is independent. Here the details don't become the focus, meaning even though you have all the details, what's felt is the oneness, the unity. We spoke about this last Wednesday, so after the shir, I took a flight to Dallas. So it got very delayed. So I had a, a whole day to be in the airport and then on the plane. And it's a pretty long, it's a few hour flight, almost four hours. So I had time to think a little, to think a little bit. And, uh, Dallas, there were a lot of weather storms. There was a very heavy storm there. So the landing was pretty lebedic. It was pretty lively. What they call tur- turbulent. So, uh, as we were landing, I was sitting in my seat and I was thinking about Malakalam and Saifukalam. So then I realized, I was looking around, every passenger is an individual. And every passenger has his own reasons why he's flying to Dallas. This one is flying, I was flying for a lecture of the Dallas Torah Day School, had a dinner, and I was invited to speak there. Other people were flying, I'm sure for other reasons. This one for business, this one for family, this one maybe for a very happy occasion, this one maybe for a challenging occasion, this one on vacation. And every person sitting there is with his own thoughts and his own mind, and he is at the center of his universe, and really a very individual person. Then there's the pilot. The pilot is also flying from Dallas. He's bringing everybody there. And I was thinking, here's an interesting marshal. From the perspective of every individual, you have this one flying and this one flying, and each one is doing their own thing and flying for their own purpose. From the perspective of the pilot, he's flying one plane. He also wants to get all the passengers there. But his cheshbin has nothing to do with the individual qualities and properties and experiences of every passenger. He also wants to get the whole plane there. And he wants to get all the passengers there. But from his perspective, he wants to get the plane there. And that includes everybody as one. There's no recognition of the individual distinctions between this person and that person. Even though in the world of each person, it's a completely different cheshbon. I may be going for one reason, you may be going for exactly the opposite reason. 
But being in that plane, there's a certain oneness that unites us all. And from the pilot's perspective, he doesn't, he doesn't even recognize it. He has one job. His job is to bring this plane from Newark Airport into Dallas International Airport. Now, of course, the difference, the metaphor is flawed because the pilot Taka has no interest, interest in the deal. If I'm going to go to pilot and say, by the way, let me tell you about my schedule in Dallas. They say the definition of a nudnik is, you ask him how he's doing and he tells you. Yeah. Right. Most people, how are you doing? You expect it. Baruch Hashem, I'm good. You start telling the person, I have an issue with my mortgage and I have an issue with this. I didn't really mean to ask you the question. I just meant to be nice. Pleasantries. Yeah. If I start telling the pilot why I'm here and so, unless he's a personal friend of mine, it's called Anudnek. You say thank you, you go over the plane, you say thank you, and you move on. So he's Taka, the details are not relevant. He doesn't know about them. He probably doesn't care about them. It's too much to care about, even if he's a nice guy. Here, obviously, we're dealing with the same source, Hashem Echad. We're dealing with one source where all the details are an inherent part of the plan. But the point is that in the world of Mamale, the details themselves become significant as details. In the world of Soiviv, the definition of every prat is a chilek of the claw. It's not that there's no details, there's no recognition of them. That's also the difference between sometimes the CEO and the manager that we spoke about, or the military commander and the teacher, that in all these details, in all these illustrations, the metaphor falls short in this one area and in a few other areas. Now let's see further inside. I just said, Shahakarl Nia Bidvare. This is Mamalik Alman. So after the brackets, yeah? You see on top it says, Lukutatayda Bracha, the Maim Mizma Shir, the first column, Tzadik Test, the first column, or page 197. There's brackets. The line starts, Vesayv of Kalalman. I'm in the middle of the page, I don't know, like 10, 15 lines from the top. The line starts, Vesayv of Kalalman, right after the brackets. Ein Sham. Ach yesh bekeser beis pchinas. Thank you. Ach yesh bekeser beis pchinas. He said that generally, Mamalik Alman represents kaya chapoyel benifel, the chius pnimi, the chius, the life force that's pnimiyizdik. It goes in. What do we mean? It goes in. I don't mean goes in physically. I mean goes in. Spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, goes in means that it's absorbed by the recipient as his thing, as its thing, as her thing. That's how you identify yourself. That's what Mamalakalaman is. It's the it's the life force that the Nivra comes to identify with as an individual. And that's why it's it matches, it's suited to the unique properties of this particular nivra because it's a pnimi is the kechios, right? This was understood, yeah? That's why it's called a chayis pnimi. The difference between pnimi and makif is makif doesn't mean it's not here, it's not inside, but it means it's not experienced as the identity of the one who is receiving it. It's above it. Above it, not in space, but above it in term of content, of concept. It's above it, it's beyond its limited vessels and containers, where Mamalik Kalalman is called Pnimi, and Saivav Kalalman is therefore called Makif. So it's a type of, the relationship with Mamalik Kalalman is one, that this is who I am. It's actually how I describe myself. Because the Chios is one, that infuses the very character and chemistry of the created being. In fact, it creates the very character and chemistry of the created being. And therefore, there is diversity. You are not me, and I am not you. So that's called achios, that's pnimi. Pnimi means it it infuses and it's internalized within the receptacle, within the container of the created being. Where makif, which means literally surrounding, or encompassing, 
also is inside the keli. But its relationship with it is not one that is experienced by the created being as his thing, this is his identity, because you'll say it hovers above him. And when we say hovers above him, again, I don't mean it in space, we don't mean it in spatial terms. Hovers above means in content, that it's a type of chiyas that is transcends, it transcends the limits and the, the, the parameters of that identity. In another language, this is the difference between what we call esospheris and keser. The Yud Sviris, ten characteristics, which is Chachma, Bina Das, and then Chesed, Gvurit, Tiferis, Netzach, Chod, Yisoyed, Malchus. These are called Chius Pnimi. They are, so to speak, the divine characteristics that create the individuality of all of the worlds. Because they are the ten building blocks of creation, if you wish. The building, the spiritual... <coughs> Divine building blocks of creation are the ten spheres. They correspond to the ten utterances, basara mamoris nivraha which correspond to the ten spheres, the ten characteristics. They correspond to the aseris hadibris, the ten commandments. They correspond to the to estomachus, to the ten plagues. They correspond to a lot of things, but they are the ten building blocks of creation, meaning they are the underlying DNA the spiritual divine DNA of all of creation. There's no creation in the world from an apple to a mosquito, from any rodent to the greatest galaxy that is not in some way a manifestation and an embodiment and an expression of one of the ten spheres and really a combination of the ten. Like we have in Sphere Saimer, right? There's Chesed Shebenetzach and there's Gvur Shebenetzach. It's not, nothing is one-dimensional. There's usually a combination. The question is what is more emphasized, what is more accentuated. Like this week is the week of Netzach. But Netzach is not just Netzach. There is the Chesed of Netzach. Today is the Gvura of Netzach. Netzach means to win, just as an example. Victory from the word Nitzach. Right? The Don Netzach. Nitzchuni Bonai Nitzchuni. Lenatzeach. From the word victory. It also means eternity. But victory is a capacity of the soul to be victorious. It's basically the capacity to triumph despite all odds, to overcome opposition, to overcome adversity. Whether the adversity is inside or the adversity is outside, that's Netzach. But Netzach needs Chesed Sheba Netzach. Netzach has to be expressed through Chesed. There are people who win, and in that process, they crush Chesed Shebenetzach means you have to be kind in your victories. Gvur Shebenetzach is the discipline that victory necessitates. So these are all nuances through which the energy is expressed in order for it to be wholesome. It borrows from the other spheres. So the same is true in the building blocks of creation, that every single sphere, for it to be wholesome, requires integration. And integration means I borrow from the other and I give to the other. I take and I give. There is a, 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 a synergy. There is a, a symmetry. They work together in a, in a state that we call his scholarless integration. That's all connected to Mamala Kalama. And the system is the first highest world is the world of Atsilas. The Chesed of Atsilas ultimately will evolve into the Chesed of Bria, which will evolve into the Chesed of Yitzira, which will evolve into the Chesed of this world. The Chesed of this world, when we speak about love in this world, it's called love of Asiya, but it's rooted in a deeper form of energy, which is rooted in yet a deeper form of energy in this process of evolution or devolution that we call Tishtalshalos. And that makes up the internal character of every single created being, according to its design and purpose from the perspective of the Creator. What we call Ihu Memalekalam, and He fills all the worlds. Then there's something we call Kesser Elyon. And just like the Kesser, the crown, is above the head, and the Kesser we call Makif Al-Harosh, it so to speak, surrounds the body, it surrounds the head, it's around the head, it's on top of the head. And that represents the royalty of the Malchus Kesser. Kesser is the marshal for Soiviv Kalalman, the metaphor for Soiviv. And Kesser is identified with Ratzayn, with desire. And as we explained before, 
that the idea of soivim is very much connected to ruts and to desire, because it's basically seeing every detail of the world as a facilitator of his desire, seeing it from the perspective of rutsin of the desire, where the individual identity of every created being is its significance, is as an implementer, as a facilitator, as a vehicle to fulfill this rutsin, to fulfill this will. The focus, therefore, is not on the diversity and the distinctiveness, but on the oneness and on the holistic wholeness. Not that it doesn't include all the details. Of course it includes all the details. But all the details are seen through the prism and from the perspective of what's called Kesser Ratzon. Like the mission statement, right? And the mission statement infuses everything. Because if there's a detail that's not infused by that mission statement, it doesn't belong there. But here the detail is not a detail in and of itself. The detail is part of a wholesome reality, a much larger reality. And therefore, between one detail and another detail, the difference is only cosmetic, not essential. Back for a second. Netzach Shebuch Chesed is different than Chesed Of course. Netzach Chesed is the way Netzach facilitates Chesed. Chesed Shebuch is the way chesed facilitates netzach. Netzach sheba chesed means you got to fight for your love. Some people have a lot of chesed, but they're not ready to fight for it. They love their children, but they'll never fight for their children. They love a cause, but they'll never fight for it. The moment the principal says no, you're like, okay. <laughs> netzach sheba chesed means sometimes you got to fight for things you love. I don't mean that you have to burn down buildings. But I mean, you have to you have to sometimes fight for things you care about. In other words, there will be opposition. Not everything you love is going to come easily. And you have to be able to fight for it. That's the netzach aspect of chesed. When chesed is missing netzach, it could remain... Uh, it could remain... Uh, it could, uh, unexpressed, unactualized. It dies in the womb. It's like a miscarriage. I mean, spiritually speaking. It stays in so it doesn't it, it's never implemented in the real world because I faced opposition. Like, it would have been nice. It would have been nice in the world of dreams. So Netzach Shebech Chesed means that the Chesed needs to have an aspect of Netzach, just like it needs an aspect of Gvura, just like it needs an aspect of Tiferes, of Hoid, Yisoyed, etc. Chesed Shebech Netzach is the opposite. The focus is Netzach. But Netzach needs Chesed. It needs sweetness to it, yeah. Sometimes you have to overcome obstacles, but you have to be kind about it. Kind. How do you explain and it needs restraint. That's Gvurah Shabbat etc. And it needs, and Netzach Shabbat is the Netzach of Netzach. <laughs> For net, uh, How do you explain Chesed Shabbat Well, Netzach Shabbat is, is the core. That's the, that's the, that's that itself. That's the root. A narcissist is only Netzach Shabbat A narcissist? A narcissist is not necessarily Netzach. A narcissist is just a narcissist. <laughs> His own world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could express itself also in that. Ach, yesh bekeser beis but yet, when you speak about Kesser, which is, again, the, literally the crown, but the crown is a metaphor here, to the Ratzin, which is Soiviv, which transcends the individual details, which what we, we call Kesser, and there's two aspects in Kesser itself. Hainum, it's going to be abstract language here for a few lines, but don't get afraid. Hainum, one aspect of Kesser is known, I'm just literally going to translate, as the lowest dimension, the Pchina is dimension or aspect or Indian or theme. The lowest dimension of the Matzil. The Matzil is the source of Atzilas, the emanator. The word Atzilas in the world of Kabbalah is known as the highest world. There's Olam HaAtzilas, we said many times, Olam HaAtzilas, Bria, Yitzir, Asir. These four worlds are not four distinct worlds that exist in different parts of our universe. The four worlds really means 
the four dimensions of every single existence. It's basically, you could put on four types of lenses. From one perspective, you'll see the world of Asiya. You could look at the same thing and see it from the perspective of the world of Yitzira, the world of Bria, and the highest world, which is the world of Atsilas. The, the word Atsilas comes from the word, two words. One is Eitzel, something that's near you, Etzloi Vesamach. Like, sit near me, Etzli, right? You'll come to me, you're near me, you're close to me. The word Atzilus is also in the Parshas Baalois, Hashem tells Moshe to appoint 70 elders, Vatsalti min haruach asher alecha. The way they translate Vatsalti in the English is, I will emanate. How do you say that in an English that everybody understands? I will emanate from the Spirit on you and confer it on the 70 people. Huh? Vatsalti is like... Um, it's not take it from you and give it to them. That's not Atzilus. That's Nasina. I'm not taking from you. It's like Rashi says, When you light a candle from another candle, you could light 1,000 candles from one candle, and the first candle is not missing anything, which is unique in the physical world. Usually, if I give you a check for $100, that $100 is going out of my bank account. We can't both have it at the same time because that's the definition of physicality. Physicality has a space. Either it's by you or by me. If I give you my drink, then you have the drink, and I don't have the drink. I have to get another drink. The uniqueness of candles is I could light one candle, I can light a thousand candles, and it doesn't take away anything from me. On the contrary, it only increases my light. It increases my influence. And it's basically, in English, there's two words. There's power and there's influence. And power and influence, we spoke about this quite a few times, are two very different realities. Power, the more you share the less you have. If I have 100% of... Uh, of uh, Yeah, 100% battery. I was talking about, let's say, I have a business and I own it. 100% of the shares are mine, but I need an investor. And the investor comes and says, no problem, but I want 50% of the shares. I give you 50% of the shares and I now lost 50% of my ownership. Sometimes I have to give away 80% or 90%. That's in the world of power. Power... You share, and the more you give, the less you have. With influence, it's the exact opposite. With influence, the more influence a person has, it doesn't take away from them. For example, let's say somebody has a dream or a vision, and they inspire somebody to carry that dream. It doesn't take away the dream from them. All it does is, it increases it. It makes it more, it makes it more broader. And if there's another person, another person, another person, yeah. There's a famous expression. Power dies upon death. When somebody dies, they lose their power. It can't be otherwise. They may have been a king. They may have been a Napoleon. You know, you may have owned the world or think you own the world. But the person dies, that's the end of the power. Influence sometimes begins after death or sometimes increases tremendously after death. You see certain people that after their passing, their influence actually grows much more because it works in a completely opposite way than power. That's the difference between atzilus and other terms. When I matzil something, it doesn't go away from me. I, I confer, a teacher teaches wisdom to a student, he doesn't lose that wisdom. It's not like, oh, I don't have it anymore, I can't teach. If I teach it, you're going to have it, I'm not going to have it. No, no, you'll have it even more. You will have it, your student will have it, and then your student could share it with others, and then they'll also have it. So it's kemad lekner meneh. So atzilus, the world of atzilus is, so to speak... The way the divine light, we call it the world of Atsilus. We don't call it the world of Bria. Bria means a creation. A creation means it's something outside of me. It's Yesh Me'ayin. Atsilus is not a world outside of Hashem. It's rather a world in which Hashem's infinity is manifested in the ten lights of the spheres. So it's an emanation from the Ein Saif, the way it's manifested within the ten characteristics, but they're still completely divine. That's why it's called the world of Eitzel. It's close. It's still very close. It's still the world of, of unity. Looking at the world, there's a discussion always. It's, for example, say often the Baltanya will write the Neshama of, uh, of Rajbi was a Neshama of Atzilus, or the Neshama of Moshe was a Neshama of Atzilus. Uh, it says in Svarim, the Arizal said the Neshama of the Rambam was a Neshama of Bria, for example. The Neshama of the others were Neshamas of Atzillus. The Shvatim were Bria. Yosef was Atzillus. That's where they didn't understand them. What do, what do these words mean? They're not, uh, obviously they're abstract words, but they, they can also be understood. 
It means on a Shama of Atzilus, when it walks this world, it has the glasses, the lenses of Atzilus, meaning it looks at the world and it sees the ultimate Koya Chapoyel Benifel. It sees the world from the divine perspective. So it sees the world as a symphony. Every individual, it doesn't just look at the individual from a superficial point of view, I see a piece of flesh. But rather I see the pnimius of every nivra all the way back to its source in the spheroids of Atsilus. And then, so that's, that's what the world, the word Atsilus means. That's the word Atsilus. That's what, then you have Bria, then you have Yitzira, then you have Asiya. Those are the general four worlds. We say generally because on an individual level you have myriads and myriads and myriads of worlds. But generally speaking, they're categorized into four. We say it in Yeshay and Perkeyavis, the end of Perkeyavis, Koil Hanikra Bishmi, Velechvoidi, Brosiv, Yitzartiv, Af Asis. In Kester itself though, you have two pchinas. So one equals pchina hatachtoina shebe ma'atzil. Ma'atzil is the source of the atzilus. Ma'atzil is the one who emanates, the one who, who emits the light, the one who confers. The ma'atzil is the one who gives. The ne'etzal is the one who receives. So by Moshe, Moshe was the ma'atzil, and the 70 people were the one who received the light of Moshe. V'atzalti min haruach asher alecha v'samti alehem. I will emanate, I will, so to speak, take part of your energy. Moshe didn't lose anything. It's not like Moshe ceased to be a prophet. Moshe remained, and Moshe remained much greater than the 70. But something of Moshe's energy was now manifested in these 70 people. They became real students of Moshe Rabbeinu. They became people who represented some of the, of the light, of the wisdom, of the divine inspiration of Moshe Rabbeinu. And the point here was that Moshe Rabbeinu should have people to help him. So Moshe had a certain way of living and a certain way of looking at the world. He needed people who could maybe, ah, huh? it gave him also feedback, yeah? That's another shear. So Matzil is the source of the Atzilus, the one who is Matzil, and Netzel is the recipient. So he says, as as the lowest dimension of the one who's creating the Atzilus. Then there's also Keser as the highest level of the Ne'etzal. Keser is the intermediary between the Ma'atzil, the source of Atzilus, and the Ne'etzalim and Atzilus. Anything that wants to be a Memutza, a Memutza is a bridge between two completely disparate realities must encompass both of them. If not, you can't be a memutza. To use the famous illustration that the Rambam's translated, the Rambam had a translator in his lifetime, Ibn Tevon. And he writes in his, the Rambam wrote his works in Arabic. Every sefer of the Rambam was written in Arabic, besides the Mishnah Torah. Every other sefer of the Rambam, his commentary on Mishnayis, his sefer Hamitzvahs, his Meir Nevuchim, all of his books on medicine, of course. All of the works of the Rambam outside Mishnah Torah were written in Arabic. And they were translated by a man named Ibn Tevon. An old translation, he translated a lot of the classic works. Chayvah Salavavis was written in Arabic and so forth. So he writes in his, I think he writes in the introduction to his translation, he says that every translator has to be an expert, an expert in the language that he wants to translate from. He has to be an expert in the language that he wants to translate to. And his expertise has to be greater than a regular English speaker, a regular Arabic speaker. Because if you have to translate from one language to another language, you're transporting. Languages are very different. I don't know if those of you who are familiar with the art of translation, it's one of the most difficult things because you could, if you take a novel in Russian or in French, you try translating in English word for word, it's going to be an absolute disaster. Technically, you may be correct, but it will be an absolute disaster. Why? Because you're going to lose the whole geist, the whole spirit of it. Words are not just words. A great writer infuses every word with, with content, with soul. There's the structure. There's the syntax, how you form a sentence and a paragraph and a chapter. There's a lot of depth in it. Writing is a, is a umnus schleimer. It's a serious craft. You see the writers, and there are writers. There are writers, you finish reading them, and you're like, achenweh. It's not worth the paper was written on. And then your writers, you finish reading them and you're, you're in awe 
how somebody can articulate themselves this way. So it's the same alphabets, but the writing is completely different. The translator can't just know a basic English like other people, even a good English. His mastery of the language has to transcend ordinary mastery because he has to transport one language into a completely new medium. So you have to know the original language in a uniquely extraordinary way, this new language that you're translating to, and then you have to have the ability to be able to uh, to transfer both from one to the other. That's what I mean. Of course, you have to know the idiosyncrasies, what's behind the words, behind the, 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 the slangs, the expressions, and so forth. You have to have a feel for the... Huh? Yeah, you have a good, good translate. <laughs> yeah. Every day, when you buy something made in China, they just translate from Chinese instructions, and it's it's quite illogical. Yeah, it's, it's senseless. Huh? So now, you'll take this in a more abstract way. Take an arbitrator. Two people are having a dispute in business or in marriage or in any issue in life, and they come to an arbitrator. The worst thing the arbitrator can do is take sides. But it's not just on a superficial level. He can't show that he takes sides. Essentially, he has to be able to be one who can experience the world of this person, the world of this person, and then you could create peace. There was a therapist who once told me, he's a very well-known therapist and does a lot of good work, and he told me once that uh, the greatest compliment he gets from his from his patients is, is a couple comes to him, and the husband says, you know, then she says, he says, you know, every therapist right away takes my wife's side, but you don't, you don't take my wife's side. You you understand my side very well. And the wife says the same thing. Every therapist always takes my husband's side because he has a good mouth. He has a, he's a sweet talker. You know, he makes all the problems he puts on me. But you don't do that. You take my side. In other words, everyone has to feel understood. The moment the arbitrator comes in and says, oh, you're an idiot. You're a self-centered visux to a narcissist. Get out of the room. You're not an arbitrator anymore. I know there are maybe such situations where you feel that way. But if you want to be successful and you right away share your feeling that this person is completely off and this person is completely right, then forget arbitration. The whole point is you have to really be able to relate to the world of this one and at least not agree with them. You can't agree with them. Then you're not going to be an arbitrator. But you have to be able to see the world from their perspective. And then you could see what's bothering them. That's the key. And this is very important. Can you see what's bothering them? Can you see the world from their perspective? Can you recognize their void, their anxiety? doesn't mean they're right. It could be they're doing foolish things. It could be they're behaving in a foolish way, in an immature way. But can you understand the angst, the, the pain, the void that this person is experiencing? Their expectations that were shattered, their dreams that were destroyed... They're reacting, say in marriage, they're reacting in a certain way because of a certain way of looking at the world. Yes, in their mind, they are the victims. The other person is the perpetrator. They may be completely off. It may exactly be the opposite. But can you understand what they're going through? If you can do that, now there is hope for you to bring the two worlds together. Why? Because you can identify to each person the pain of the other person and you can demonstrate how the two could come closer together by understanding each other and then working through their disagreements from that perspective. You understand what I'm saying? In his famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, was like the biggest bestseller of like all time. So it's the habit five is seek to understand before being understood. Yeah. And he said many, many times in life, this was absolutely the most difficult happening. He's very many people yeah. Shalom. yeah. Seek to understand before being understood. Now it sounds, at a sheer, it sounds very beautiful, what's so difficult. But if you're having a serious emotional issue with somebody, try it out and you'll see it's not so simple. Because it's very simple when we're talking about in an abstract way. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Try to understand the other person. As long as it's a person who has nothing to do with you. He lives in China having a dispute with his chavi, he got no issue. But uh, when it comes to a very personal issue and it's triggering deep, deep emotional pain, it's hard to seek to understand. And it doesn't mean the person is right. It just means I have to see the world from your perspective if I want to create healing. If if I'm giving up on the relationship, then I don't have to see the world from your perspective. But that would be a sad thing if the relationship is valuable. 
This is what we mean. Every memutza, if you ever want, if you want to be a memutza in life, a memutza in life means you want to be the bridge that brings together the two sides of the river. There's only if you're connected to each side. If you eliminate one side, you say, I have no interest in you, you're a nobody, you can't be a bridge. The bridge is always the one who can bring together two worlds, who can bring together the two strings, the two ropes from the two sides. That's what we mean. The Eitzchayim means that the memutza has to be kolul. He must encompass the world on one side, the world on the other side, and now I could serve as a, as a middleman. As a memutza. The memutza comes from the word emtza, in the middle. You become like the intermediary, the arbitrator who brings them together. So I see that the, that the stronger the relationship with the other person, then the harder it is to understand the, the difference between Well, the, I would say that, not, I don't know if the stronger the relationship is, but the stronger there is, the more pain there is, the more disappointment there is. It just becomes so entrenched that we just say, you know, I'm an innocent guy and I went into this with so much innocence and this person is just completely crazy or, or dysfunctional. And then you, you know, you just, you dig into life with your claws and you remain there and it's very hard to get out of your position. If somebody has been married for 20, 30 years and their marriage is not a good one, there's certain paradigms they have developed that usually developed the night of the wedding. <laughs> And it, it's maintained, that's when, it, that's when the things, Shevabrachis is when everything happens. The first seven days, you develop your attitude. Every fight afterwards is just a hamshach. <laughs> it's just, a, it's the same argument in just in different words. In Kabbalah, it's called different sirufim. It's just different words. It's about the grocery, it's about we're going for Pesach, it's about the summer, it's about which might, it's the same argument. Huh? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> He's saying, skip the Sheva Brachas. If it was that easy, if it was that easy. Uh, seven weeks, you fix each week, you fix it all the other. <laughs> the, the, the seven weeks is connected to Sheva Brachas, to fix up every day what happened at the Sheva Brachas. Now I understand the halacha says that every day of Sheva Brachas, you need a panam chadashas. You need a new face. So it's not just you need a, huh? <laughs> but also you have to be able to see your spouse every day of Sheva Brachas as a new person. That's, that's the really, really, panam chadashas. In halach, it's not stomach, it's a joke. A new face, we're all happy. If I saw you yesterday, we can't do Shevon Brachas, sorry, you're already a boring guy. We bring in a psashlepa from the street, yeah? Oh, Baruch Hashem, panam chadashas, now you can make Shevon Brachas. The pshat is a new face means there's, there's, there's a fresh energy. There's a fresh perspective, because that's always the key. And that's what the Mamutza really accomplishes. The reason it's like this in this world, like everything in this world, is because that's how it is in the source. It sounds like Mamutza has to be totally true. Very. Very. I'm thinking here in, in life, in my life experience, people are very good negotiators. It's often compromise. They so, sort of bring both sides together that... Not truthful. <sighs> they say for Abionis and Ibshitz that Shatchen says lies and takes money. I mean, you know, sometimes the situations, I guess sometimes, you know, a cold peace is better than a hot war. You have to do the best you can. You know, sometimes the best you can do is create and negotiate some type of understanding, some type of truce. Right? The Vav of Shalom is a Abgahakta Vav. It's a Vav Ketia by Pinchas. It's a Vav. It's, it's cut off. I was once at a minion, so the Balkai was Shabbos Mincha. And uh, the Balkai is reading... And he says, uh, Sefer is possible. They take out a second Sefer He says, it's possible. <laughs> I go, I take a look. It's the Shalom of Pinchas. It's supposed to be chopped off. He decided it's possible because he didn't know. So, and so I saw once, I think it was from either one of the, maybe Reb Naftali of Rupsh. It's one of the great Hasidic masters. I don't remember who. And he says that, you know, peace sometimes a person feels that the peace is not perfect. He says, don't delegitimize that peace. 
Sometimes peace is not the perfect, perfect peace where the two people merged as one. You have to give legitimacy to that also. Sometimes it's not possible to create the ultimate peace. But a relative peace is also better than war, better than conflict. Doesn't have to be, doesn't mean he becomes your best friend, but better than conflict is showing good. When, when there's fighting and bitterness and, and hate and resentment, it, it's a destructive force. In families, yeah? Some people have a lot of issues with their in-laws and brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law. Some families are very close. You can't always, it doesn't always work. Sometimes there's very big differences. But when there's war, it's destructive. There's peace. You could speak to each other. You could be normal. You could be cordial. It's already a blessing. Would it be nice if everybody was warm and fuzzy and lovey, lovey, dovey? Of course. But it's, it's sometimes an expectation that at least till Mashiach comes is not always actualized. So sometimes a, a, a compromised peace is far superior to a, a, a full-blown war in the name of Emes, in the name of truth. In the name of truth, I'm never speaking to you again in my life in the name of truth. You know what I mean? That's uh... <laughs> So when we come, when we talk here, here's a little, this is what we have to understand. Atzillus is a world of divinity, but it's the way the divine is manifested in character, in ten spheres. The Ein Saif itself is undefined. The intermediary between Ein Saif and the world of structure of Atzillus is Kesser. Kesser could be a Mamutza because Kesser has both aspects. That's what he means. Kesser has Pchinetachtoinashabematzel. It represents, so to speak, the lowest dimension of the Ein Saif, which is the source of Atzillus. But it also represents the Rishonlinat Salam. The Mamutza in order to be able to bring together infinity and a universe, must have both components. It has to have the element of Ein Soif. It also has to have the element of Atzillus. It has to have both, because a Memutza has to include both dimensions. So when you speak about Keser, there's Keser, the way Keser is, the crown of Atzillus, the first of the Ne'et Salem, above Chachma, the first existence of Atzillus is Keser, that's Keser in its lowest plane, the way Keser is the leader of Atzillus. Hu hanikra Arich Anpin, that is known as Arich Anpin, which literally means the long face, Arich Anpin, Shehu Mokr, it's the source, Shememenu Nimshachim Ishavus Eser Tikunim, Yud Sfiris Da'atzillus Bebchines Ishtalshlos. It's the source from which emerge the ten tikkunim. Ten tikkunim means the ten garments, the ten characteristics, the ten lights of Atzillus in the evolution of Chachma, Bina, Das, Chesed, Burit, Teferis, Netzachot, Yisrael, Malchus, and the expression of the Zoyar, Chad Arich, Chad Ktsir, Vechad Benini. There are three columns of spheres. One is called long, one is called short, and one is called intermediary. You have the right column, the left column, and the center column. Arich Ampin itself, which is the Keser, that's what we call Soiviv, Makif. It includes all of them equally. So, Arich Ampin would be like the Rotsoin, the Keser above the head, which is the source from which all of the individual spheroids emerge and from which the whole process of Mamali Kalalman begins. So Atsilus begins the process of Mamali Kalalman, the divine energy that fills the worlds in an individual fashion through the ten spheres. Each aspect is a result of one or a combination of the spheres. And Arich Anpin, Aleph Aleph, Arich Anpin, is considered the Keser, the crown, that encompasses all of the ten. It's the source of all of the ten. That's what we call the soiv of Kalam, that encompasses all the, all the worlds. And it's Bahashva Achas, Hashava, Mashva, Katam, Vagadal. The greatest and the biggest are one, because soiv of Kalam encompasses all of them equally. That is called Arich Ampin. This is the Kesser that is the source of Atzilus. Is that the Pchinel of Tachtom Rishabat That's, uh, no, that's Pchinel Yoy That's, that's the translator as the one who represents the highest of the world that receives. It's the way the Mamutza is relating to 
the worlds. Keser is a conjoining of the two, of the Aruch Anpin. Keser is the interface, the interface. The Aruch Anpin with the... Keser is the interface between Ein Saif and Atzilus, okay? How could it be the interface? The interface must have both dimensions. So now we spoke about the lowest dimension of Keser. Keser as the source of all of the worlds. Or in other words, Keser as Soiviv Kal Alman. Soiviv Kal Alman as the origin of Mamala Kal Alman. This is the lowest element of Keser, which is higher than all the worlds, because it's a bridge, it's an interface. But there's another element in Keser. What's the other element in Keser? It's an interface between the divine infinity in the world. So it's also the lowest element of the Matzil, the source of Atzilus. This is called, in all of the writings of Kabbalah, of Nistra, of Pnimi, Now when somebody is, looks through works of Kabbalah or Chassidus, whether it's Zoya, whether it's writings of the Ariza, whether it's writings of Chaim Vital, whether it's writings of the Ramak, whether it's writings of the Vilna Gon, any sforim of Kabbalah, from all generations, the writings of Ramchal, earlier generations, later generations, will always see these terms. Atik, Arich, Atzilus, Spheris, Keser, etc. But here he's giving the definition. Atik is also Keser, but it's not Arich. Aleph, Aleph is Keser, the lower dimension of the interface. Atik is the higher dimension of the interface. Miloshen Hamatik Horim. In Tanakh, we have an expression, Hamatik Harim, which means he removes Matik, removes mountains. What does it mean? This is completely above, beyond. Mutak is removed, aloof, sublime, completely transcending the ten spheres of Atzilas, the ten spheres which were emanated. That element of Kesser called Atik, we can't even call Makif. Shekol Makif Makif means there's a relationship. Rak, there's a relationship. It's a relationship of Makif, it's not a relationship of Pnimi, but it's a relationship. It's a relationship that encompasses rather one that is internalized in the details, but it's still a relationship called Makif. That can only relate to the lower dimension of Kesser. The lower dimension of Keser, which is Arich Ampin, is called Soiviv, it's called Makif. Why? Because it represents Soiviv Kalalman. But when we speak about the higher dimension of the interface, which is called Atik, not Arich, it's not the source of the ten spheres. You can't relate it to the ten spheres. Why? Because it's not even on the level of Makif, it completely transcends it. So what's the term for it? Raknikre Makif de Makif. It's called the makif of the makif, meaning it's makif even above the makif. It transcends even the transcendence because it's completely a different realm. That's the concept of keser, but the higher level of keser. So keser is the memutza, it's the intermediary, the interface between pure divinity, so to speak, pure infinity, which is undefined, not defined by any fashion, not even... Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes, these are all definitions, divine definitions, but definitions, and a universe which is based on structure, definition, diversity, individuality. Keser is the interface. Keser must have both. The translator has to know both languages. But here, it's not just two languages, Russian and English, or French and Hebrew, or Japanese and Portuguese. Here, the two languages are two Languages, one is beyond language and one is language. One is infinity and one is structure. Kesser has to speak both languages. So that's why we speak about two dimensions in Kesser. We, we speak about two dimensions because our language is limited. So we have to split it in two dimensions. Obviously, it's not like there's a split in the middle of Kesser. But it's two aspects of Kesser. One is Kesser as a reflection of the new language that we call Arich Anpin. That's called Soiviv Kalalman. That's called the Keser above Atzillus. That is like the first level of Atzillus. The highest level of Atzillus. From there, the whole Atzillus Bri Yitzir will begin. It's still above it because it's the interface. It's the translator. But it's the beginning of that language. It's the beginning, the genesis, what he calls Roish Virishon, the head and the beginning. 
of Atsilas and everything below. That's what we call Soiv of Cologne. But then there's Keser as tuning into the language that's pre-Atsilas, that transcends Atsilas, the language of Ein Soif. That's Keser as the Pchina Tachtoina Shebema Atsil. Not Keser as the beginning of Atsilas, but Keser as the final step of the one who is the source of Atsilas, the Matzil, that we call Atik. Sometimes we call it Atik Yoimen. Atik. Atik means completely removed, completely removed, completely beyond, completely transcendent. Keser captures that, that aspect as well. That you don't call soiviv, you don't call it makif, soiviv kalalmin, because it has no relationship with the world even on the level of makif. This we would call makif le makif. That's the keser, the higher level of keser. Now some of you are sitting here and you don't know what in the world I am talking about. Don't feel so bad, because I also don't know exactly what I'm talking about, to be honest. But this is quite profound stuff abstract stuff. However, as we shall see, this is just the the map, so to speak, outlining the map of it, but the ideas uh, are powerful ideas and their ramifications in life. You're also wondering how in the world is this relevant to a person's life. So that's step two that we will get into, but this is just a general map of the Balatanya's description of the difference between Atik and Arich as he will move on to explain Bezer Hashem. Have a wonderful day. I think if you listen to it again, the last 15 minutes. If you have a chance, listen to the previous year also. What's Machte? I guess we start remaking the Ponokadosh itself. Reincarnate. Sometimes you see the same experience with the teenagers. What? So you're trying to speak to them for so many years, and that was a big deal. Yeah? Mital Mida Yosemikulam. You're trying to understand their perspective. The waxman wants to say, no one knows as much as a 15 year old bacher. No one knows better than a 15 year old It's very hard, yeah. Sometimes fathers forget what it was like when they were teenagers, you know. <laughs> Sometimes fathers forget how they were like. Patiently, I was how badly, This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at triple w dot the yeshiva dot net slash donate